0: Hey, and welcome to Dictator for a Day. day. The podcast where we'd never propose having an actual dictator. It's more like imagining what you'd do if you won the lottery. What would you do if you were, in fact, dictator "Dictator for a a day? Well, look who's here! It's Benny Franklin, ladies and gentlemen, Benjamin Franklin, founding father, elder statesman, diplomat, inventor. Sorry, <laughs> having trouble getting the kite through your door. Uh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> you You want to fly a kite with me? Uh, no, we would like some sage advice. Oh, never use sage. <laughs> Makes me sneeze. No, space. no, not sage, the herb. I know herb. We We mean sage, wise advice, a wise, a wise saying, sage advice. <laughs> Certainly, certainly. Oh, oh, hmm, certainly. Check the almanac here. Uh, Here's one. How about, well done is better than well said. Well done is better than well said. Sort of the reverse of all talk and no action. Can we get another? Oh, yeah. Here's a favorite. Guests like fish begin to smell after three days. Hmm. Guests like fish begin to smell after three days. You know, I I I think you're right. That's perfect for today's podcast. Well, well... (laughs) I'm late, late, and as you know, lost time is never found again. So, I'm out of here. Thank you, Mr. Franklin. Enjoy the kite you have there. So, guests like Fish begin to smell after three days. Well, I think we could say the same is true of politicians and bureaucrats. You can toss Fish out. It's almost impossible to get rid of politicians and bureaucrats. So, if I were dictator dictator for for a day, day. the first thing I would do is declare term limits for every politician and bureaucrat. It's a lack of term limits that's often at the root of government expansion, self-empowerment, largesse, abuse, and a whole host of other issues. In short, a lack of term limits subverts the will of the electorate. Incumbent politicians are too far separated from the public they are supposed to represent. They've become an elite class of citizens that rule without having to listen to or worry about voters much, because as incumbents, they are virtually unbeatable. Behold, the incumbents! So, who do incumbents listen to? Uh, Who do they listen to? Um, Sounder, that's whom. They listen to those with money. Because it's money that helps keep incumbents incumbent. By keeping the same politicians in office year after year, the legislative pool of new blood and fresh ideas for America (coughs) stagnates. Uh, There is no new blood. There are no fresh ideas. It's pretty much zero. (coughs) The reality is, it's the incumbency not Democrats or Republicans, that make up the true majority in Congress and a lot of other levels of government. No matter what each party does, no matter what each says about the other, no matter the slings and arrows they launch at one another. Yes, those are slings and arrows. Always percolating beneath the surface is the same ulterior motive. Stay in office at all costs. Remain a member of the two most exclusive clubs In the world. The United United States States Senate. Senate. And? The United United States States House of Representatives. Representatives. And does membership have its benefits? Salaries, pensions, travel, perks, they're all lavish. Membership is addictive. Few congressmen or senators are able to resist going back for more, 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 more. Give me more, baby! Uh, not quite. But they have bellied up to the trough (laughs) and chained themselves to it. The power of the incumbent is not a myth, it's real. Politicians depend on that. That's particularly true at the federal level. If you're a member of Congress, you're in a very exclusive club where members hold a pretty much insurmountable lock on power and money. It just about guarantees they can stay in office until they decide to retire, or they assume room temperature. Now we all know politicians are elected to serve their constituents, not themselves, most serve their constituents to some degree. Oh, yeah, sure, huh? But the obvious first goal of virtually all politicians I've observed is to serve themselves by staying in office. Thus, it is that re election campaigns begin on day one in office. <laughs> It's Congressman Sludgepump, ladies and gentlemen, on day one in office. And if I'm re-elected, I promise there'll be three pots at every chicken. Pork for everyone. Thank you, Congressman. And if you got any problems in the district, just shoot me an email. Thank you. We answer Thank you promptly right around election day. If we could get him out of here, everything else is secondary to being re-elected. Because once you're in, it's pretty easy to stay in office. you got to screw the pooch pretty badly to get tossed out. Or you might be unlucky enough to get hosed out if you're aligned with an extremely unpopular presidential candidate. But as a rule, voters have to be pretty pissed off to remove an incumbent. Of course, it's always possible politicians are re-elected because their constituents actually like them. But they may also be re-elected because they simply haven't screwed up enough or their screw-ups haven't been visible enough to cause their constituents to vote them out. Now, word about screw-ups... Often it's a matter of perception and the party. So (laughs) it's a screw up if the opposing party sees it as such. If the supporting party sees it, it's it's always a great thing. It's not necessarily a screw up. They also may be reelected simply because their name is the only familiar name on the ballot. This happens a lot, like when voters haven't been paying attention to who else is running for office. And it's that type of voter apathy that results in many politicians being returned to office term, after term, after term, that huge incumbent benefit, name recognition, especially in the U.S. Congress, is perpetuated in part by your tax dollars. Hi, yes, my friend. Can you give me some examples? (coughs) Certainly. Here's an example. Congress has granted itself the power of something called franking, F-R-A-N-K-I-N-G. You probably learned about this in your high school civics class. Franking is the ability to send mail absolutely free of charge through the U.S. Post Office. Now, it's pretty cool if you're a congressman because you can have your name all over it, control the message within it, send it out to thousands of your constituents, and the message reports on the fine job you're doing as their elected official. And It's all free. So if you're in the House or the Senate, all you have to do is sign or so that's right in the upper corner I'll have to just sign or print the signature that's right upper right corner instead of paying for a stamp then you just drop it in the mail the post office picks it up from there and remember neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds delivering the mail of the incumbents for free well there you go Mrs. Voter another letter from Congressman Sledgepop oh well thank you so much If you're running for office and you're not an incumbent, you get to wait in line and purchase postage for your campaign materials. Yeah, back of the line, buddy. So franking is a way incumbents keep their name recognition high. And while franking is a great benefit, the reality is franking is small potatoes, even if you're from Idaho. Incumbent politicians also get reelected because they can make things happen in their states or districts, such as sponsoring legislation to bring in federal dollars for things like highway construction, or other federal spending projects that help grow the local economy and ostensibly improve lives. So when the only reason for a project is to bring money to a representative's district in return for votes, it's referred to as pork or pork barrel legislation, and the act of obtaining it is called bringing home the bacon. Uh, I think this is from Wikipedia. The term pork barrel politics usually refers to spending, which is intended to benefit constituents of a politician in return for their political support, either in the form of campaign contributions or votes. All right. So this is where the real bucks are spent. Hi, yes, my friend. You again. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, we have examples. Between 1991 and 2006, something called the Big Dig in Boston. This was a project to relocate underground a three-and-a-half-mile section of Interstate Highway. Sponsor was Representative Tip O'Neill, a Democrat from Massachusetts. Total cost, $14.6 billion. Yes, that's billion with a B. Worthwhile? At $4 billion per mile, you decide. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You didn't get that opportunity. Your opportunity wasn't deciding for, it was paying for. And we all paid for it. Here's another example. Between 2006 and 2015, there was something called the Grovina Island Bridge, also known as the Bridge to Nowhere, in Alaska. Sponsor, Senator Ted Stevens, a Republican from Alaska. And the cost, $398 million to connect the island's 50 residents and the Ketchikan International Airport to Rabilla-Jaguito Island and Ketchikan. Worthwhile, They should have paid me that much money just to pronounce that correctly. Legislation for funding was first introduced in 2006, but controversy over it eventually killed the project in 2015. So it got off the ground, never really landed. Both the Big Dig and the Gravina Island Bridge are high-profile examples of pork spending that made national news and drew lots of controversy. Now, lots of pork only makes the local news, where it's usually viewed as a positive. Most pork never gets national attention or criticism but the question remains how much pork is in the barrel this year in its 2022 congressional pig book citizens against government waste reports 5138 earmarks at a cost of 18.9 b billion there's that b again 18.9 billion dollars simple math puts the average earmark at $3,678,474 and a touch over 11 cents. Now, what's interesting here is that Congress had enacted a moratorium on earmarks in 2011. (laughs) Then they overturned it, can't have that, and formally restored them in fiscal year 2022. And wow, have they made up for that lack of earmarks. But then the question comes up, how does one representative get a majority of representatives to pass this type of legislation. Well, it's not difficult when every member of Congress wants a piece of the great American pie, which is actually a slice of the taxpayer-funded federal budget. They want to bring it home, pose with it for pictures, send out frank newsletters about it, and brag over it. So, to get it, they simply vote for each other's pet projects. Psst, hey buddy, take a look at this. Yeah. It's a $20 million study on why frogs in the Amazon tend to be left-handed. Yeah, I, I got some big contributors in the biological specimen industry. I'll trade you a yes vote on this for a yes vote on whatever you got. There. Wow, look at that earmark. $25 million in subsidies for the Polo scorecard industry. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so it's a deal? Great. Thanks. See you next budget. They horse trade for them with their political opponents. Now, does that practice make a project less worthy? You decide. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, that's right. You don't get to decide. Now, quite often, pork projects don't come about because an incumbent politician has been faithfully talking to voters in the district to learn what's on their minds, the incumbent is usually much more interested in listening to lobbyists and special interest groups that can help the incumbent remain in office by helping to grow the incumbent's reelection campaign fund. <laughs> oh, look at that chunk of change! Ah, uh, yeah, Congressman Sludgepump, that's quite a chunk of cash in your campaign war chest there. You don't get something for nothing. These lobbyists and special interest groups want votes and legislation favorable to their particular cause, trade association, corporation, industry, or labor union. They may also want other favorable government treatment, including federal grants, contracts, direct payments, whatever. And guess what? Politicians pay attention to these groups. They pay attention to these influencers because of the money they can receive from them, often through political action committees that contribute to the politicians' re-election campaign fund. Here's an interesting tidbit. PACs and labor groups give almost all of their campaign dollars to incumbents. Why? Behold! The incumbents! It's considered a sound investment to keep the same people in office. The more money given, the more beholden the politician becomes, and the less likely to close the door on your special interest. Question. Sounder. Yeah, boss. Get over here. When was the last time a politician called you to see if you need anything, or learn what you think about a particular issue. Uh, yeah, yeah, let me, let me think here. Uh, uh, that's what I thought. It's not just PACs that benefit politicians. It can be the people behind the PACs. Because members of Congress get to write their own rules. Hey, can you repeat that? Certainly. Members of Congress get to write their own rules. So they can write their rules to get around what the rest of us might consider good ethical behavior. In its 2019 Congressional Favor Factory Report, OpenTheBooks.com reports, Members of Congress own investment stock in, are employed by, and receive retirement pensions from, federal contractors, to whom billions of taxpayer dollars flow. Moreover, members sponsor legislation that affects these contractors. Then, the contractor's lobbyists advocate for the legislation that helps the member and the contractor. Oftentimes, the contractor's lobbyists Donates campaign cash to the member as well. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute! Let's translate that. Basically, they're saying members of Congress have written rules that allow them to own stock in companies and then create legislation favorable to companies that they own stock in. They can also get jobs at those companies, receive retirement pensions from those companies, all while serving in Congress and sponsoring legislation to the tune of billions of dollars that can help those companies. Put another way, they can say, hey, hire me, and I can illegally create favorable legislation that will help your company make millions, maybe billions. This is nuts, but it's allowed. There are a lot of other questionable issues swirling around members of Congress that usually aren't reported on. Elaine Chao is... Just one example. Former U.S. Transportation Secretary during the Trump administration. She's married to Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. He's a Republican. He's from Kentucky. She also manages Foremost Maritime Corporation, which is a major shipping company founded by her late father that does extensive business with China. And The company has come under scrutiny with critics wondering if the firm has benefited through Chow's government positions and her marriage to McConnell two letters in the alphabet describe this. P-U. Yeah. Doesn't really pass the smell test, does it? We'll cover this more in future writings and podcasts. But for now, just know that many politicians are getting rich off of you, me, and their taxpaying constituencies. Not necessarily because they're stealing federal dollars, but because they're kowtowing to a small minority of moneyed interests at the expense of all of those they swore to represent, that would be, yes, the American people. Now, the tragedy is, it's perfectly legal because Congress says it is. That's right, the very politicians taking advantage of us have set up the very system that allows them to do so. Term limits for politicians could eliminate this type of ethical abuse by ending career politicians entrenched in the same political office, often for decades, and driven by the single overriding factor of wanting to stay in office. And get rich. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than work for the good of their constituents and the country. So how do we get to term limits? Well, you don't need a dictator for a day you need an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. The Constitution Constitution of the United States States of America. America. Two-thirds of the U.S. House and Senate could propose and pass an article to amend the Constitution, followed by a majority vote in 38 state legislatures. Now, so far, neither the House nor the Senate has seen fit to pass such a bill. Gee, I wonder why. Hmm. But there's another way. Article 5 of the Constitution empowers state legislatures to create a convention to enact a constitutional amendment. So far, according to termlimits.com, 19 states have passed some form of application for a convention that includes term limits. Five of those applications are for term limits only. No other subject could be covered. Now, either way, 34 state legislatures would be needed. There are 19 on board so far, it seems. So call your legislators. I think I hear someone calling now. Hey, SledgeBob! Good luck with that one. But listen, we got to go for more of these podcasts and our written column. Please subscribe to DictatorForADay.substack.com. That's DictatorForADay.substack.com, and tell your friends. Tip: the podcasts are more fun. I am Dennis Dean, and I am not a dictator for a day. Hmm, where'd my field cap and cigar go? Dictator for a Day is sponsored in part by StoryVisionVideo.com, copyright 2022, Dennis W. Dean, that's me, all rights, but please feel free to spread the word. And thanks for listening.